The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Wash my hands. I don't touch my face. I stay at home. Shelter in place. Social distance. Don't go to work I wear a mask and gloves Stay away from church I avoid old folks And should I sneeze I do it in my elbow Or up my sleeve Six feet apart can go back to school I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu Roku, Netflix PBS and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors and I'm sick of what I see of quarantine will be the death of me me. I risk a trip to the grocery store to buy TV and a few things more but when I get there 
back everybody this is the tom sumner program as we roll into the third half of our three hour tour we uh, turn the subject to um, your favorite literary characters and some re-examining as done by emmy award-winning writer jay bushman in his uh, original new book novel advice practical wisdom for your favorite literary characters and jay joins me by phone jay welcome to the show Thank you so much, Tom. Great to be here. Um, you've done writing for a number of different uh, kinds of, of media, um, including, uh, was it Vanity Fair called you uh, enterprising, <laughs> an enterprising fabulist. I love that phrase. But uh, you've also been dubbed the epic poet of Twitter. You wrote one of the first Twitter novels. Um, but what got you into this idea of, of um, re-examining or recasting uh, well-known literary characters? Uh, it's, uh, it's something I've always been interested in uh, across all the work I've done. Um, my original, original uh, background is uh, in the theater. Um, and I, I've always just loved taking classic stories and updating them for modern times or different time periods. Uh, I was raised on the, the films of Orson Welles, um, and so he was a big, uh, big inspiration for me over the years. I thought you were um, going to say you were raised on fractured fairy tales. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those two. My, uh, I, was, I was shown those two by my father. Um, um, I, I learned about fractured fairy tales. Um, uh, Orson Welles, uh, a little bit later, I was, uh, a really, really big fan of the, uh, of the films of Kenneth Branagh, um, who takes, uh, who's known for taking Shakespeare plays and doing them on film in ways that make them come alive, um, and feel really relatable. And so that's been sort of a thing that I have always been interested in is how do we take 
these stories that a lot of us, I mean, let's be, let's be real. A lot of us encounter these stories in places where we don't want to, where we're made to read them in school, we're dragged to, you know, uh, uh, lousy stage productions uh, that our friends or our family or, uh, are in. And we, you know, see these stories and we're like, oh, God, like, why do I care? What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with the way the world is today? Um, and But I've always felt like, and not all of them, but a good proportion of these classic stories, things that we talk about as, as, um, as classic literature or part of the canon, were the blockbuster entertainments of their day. And I always find it interesting to see if I can find the thread between what made audiences and readers uh, at those times really come alive and find a way to translate that to the modern world so uh, so we can have a, a, a real uh, intense or intimate understanding, uh, putting ourselves in the shoes of these characters and getting rid of those impediments um, that, that distance us from these stories. And, and do you do that by just casting these characters in different stories? Um, how, how do you avoid... Uh, being a, a like West Side Story to Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I, I think the really important thing and the thing that I'm always looking for uh, when I'm approaching a story like this is relatability. Um, how to approach the, the dilemma that the character is facing with a, a, a excess of empathy and identification and i'll give you i'll give you an example yeah um most of us even if we haven't read the play most of us are familiar with the story or the character of hamlet and if we know one thing about hamlet it's oh he's that guy who uh can't make a decision he yeah. sits around and he like whines and he's like, what do I do? And I don't know, should I do this? Should I do that? And that's sort of the picture that we have. If you had to do the, the thumbnail sketch of Hamlet, most people would go there. But if you actually look at the plot of what happens in the story and you put yourself in his shoes, what he's trying to decide is, well, my father was killed my, I should have been the king. Now my uncle is the king. And my father's ghost has appeared to me to tell me that my uncle, the king, killed him. And the ghost is now telling me to go kill the king to avenge him. Now, I don't know about you, Tom, but if that happened to me, I take a beat to think about, wait a minute, what am I really doing here? And yeah. so to really sort of find that, that place of putting the reader or the audience in the shoes of the character and making the impediments or the challenges of the character feel as real to the reader as they do to the character. And, and how do you decide who to visit? That was a very big part of the beginning of, of uh, writing this, this book, um, Novel Advice, uh, where I was working with uh, wonderful editors and publishers um, to design how to, how to approach this book. And 
one of the early questions we talked about was, you know, we spent a long time on who goes in this book, who, go, who, who doesn't go in the book. And I sort of approached it at first with a, all right, well, we're doing, you know, famous characters. So let's look at who the famous characters are and, you know, figure out who belongs on that list. And so my first attempt was, all right, let's get all like all the top people, like all, like all the most famous ones that everyone would know. But the more I went into that, the more it became apparent that that would lead to a book that was sort of organized by uh, time, by schools, by movements. We were like, oh, I guess we do a chapter, a chapter of Shakespeare characters, a chapter of Jane Austen characters, we do a chapter on um, Gothic horror. And, and that, very quickly sort of felt like it was really limiting. And um, instead I hit on this idea of what if we, what if we grouped these characters by theme? And so I chose a bunch of different sort of uh, thematic through lines to, to build the structure of the book. So there's a chapter of about young love and there's a chapter about, you know, uh, education and there's a chapter about uh, work uh, challenges and so having those as the tent poles, then it started to become all right. Who are characters that have something to say about these topics that I can find sort of an interesting way to approach their issue in a way that is true to the original uh, source that they come from, but also can be relatable to a modern audience. And sometimes that was you know, finding the truth in the original, um, the original source. So for, you know, to stick with Hamlet for a second, uh, Ophelia is one of the people who writes a, a, a letter uh, 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 in this book. And, she, you know, uh, she writes this letter to, uh, to the advice columnist saying, hey, I need help. Uh, I, I have relationship issues. My boyfriend is a really big deal um, where we're from. <laughs> and... When it's just the two of us, it's great. But when we're out, like where everyone else can see us, it gets really, really hard. And now my, my father and my brother are on my case to stop seeing him because, you know, he's on a much, much higher uh, um, uh, level of visibility and he's more important than I am. And, you know, I, I just want them to leave me alone. But do they have a point? And so it's, it's finding the, the universality of her problem. Um, but there are other, um, other examples where I take a character and twist them a little bit. Um, and, uh, the example I'll give, uh, from that is, uh, in the same chapter, there's a chapter on young love and this, the person writing in on this one is Ishmael from Moby Dick. And his question is, so, Hey, I just met this guy and he's amazing and we really hit it off. And, you know, I feel really comfortable and safe with him. Um, but now he wants to go on a three-year whaling voyage together. Is that too much too soon? <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, Jay, I, I need to take a break here. Can you stick around so we can talk sure. some more? Okay. Absolutely. My, my, uh, my guest is uh, Emmy Award-winning writer Jay Bushman, the author of a new book, um, called Novel Advice, Practice, uh, Practical Wisdom for Your Favorite Literary Characters. We'll be back with more right after this. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. I'm United States Surgeon General Jerome Adams, America's doctor. And all across our nation, we've taken steps together to slow the spread of coronavirus. Now we must continue to take personal responsibility to protect ourselves and our loved ones. Because even though not all of us risk a severe case of coronavirus, we all risk getting it and spreading it to others, maybe without even realizing that we're sick. So if we want to get back to school, back to work, back to worship, and back to overall health. There are things our country needs to do. We need to follow state and local guidelines, take extra precautions if at higher risk, wash our hands frequently, stay six feet from others when we can, and when we can't stay six feet from others, please, I'm begging you, wear a face covering. These small actions will make a big difference. So I'm asking you to say it with me, America. Coronavirus stops with me. You can learn more at coronavirus.gov. Produced by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services at taxpayer expense. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. The Tom Summer Program.com.
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation with Emmy Award-winning writer Jay Bushman about his book, Novel Advice, Practical Wisdom for Your Favorite Literary Characters. Jay, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through that. Hey, no problem. Um, Just before the break, you were talking about a chapter in the book that you were talking about how you had uh, grouped uh, some some subjects and then brought these characters, uh, well-known characters from classical literature, in to re-examine them based on these different topics. And you were talking about the chapter on young love, and the first thing I thought of was um, I didn't think of Ophelia or Ishmael. I thought of Romeo and Juliet. Yes. uh, I mean, there was uh, a time uh, when I was very much considering uh, either Romeo or Juliet. One of the one of the challenges as as I was putting this book together was to try not to repeat the same questions or the same problems. And so if you can imagine, I have a a large whiteboard in my in my office, <laughs> and I had uh, names of characters on about a hundred or hundred more than a hundred cards, and they were just up on the board and being shuffled around and uh, going in, coming out. The list of characters that I considered that ultimately didn't make it in um, was really long. Um, the list of characters who moved around from one chapter to another. I think uh, uh, there's a, there's a chapter, there's an entry about Madame Bovary, who I think moved at any given time was in four or five different chapters. Um, and so it, uh, at a certain point, it became about how to, um, also how to make sure that it wasn't all characters of a certain type. If I'm being honest, I could have written this whole book just using characters from Shakespeare, and I would have been happy. I was gonna, um, I was but, gonna say, yeah. would characters, you know, the different characters that you borrowed from different writers, was Shakespeare more likely to have covered all of those themes with any given character? Oh, certainly, certainly. And you know, if uh, if I do get the opportunity to uh, to do a follow up, I may I may pitch just doing a totally Shakespeare-centric uh, version of, of this because, I mean, he's Shakespeare. The, the, the source material is, is, is almost endless, is almost bottomless. Um, but as the, as the project was conceived, we talked a lot about trying to do contrast, trying to find the ways that Shakespeare characters had things in common with say uh, one of the other characters who who is in the young love chapter is Scarlett O'Hara from Gone with the Wind, mm. and she was a really big uh, key to unlocking how I wanted to to write this book because you know I will confess to not being the biggest fan of Gone with the Wind, and if Scarlett O'Hara is writing to me asking for help to figure out like oh God you know Ashley is, you know, Ashley's going to go marry someone else, and then this this impertinent Mr. Butler said all these nasty things about me, and I'm so mad, what should I do? I would not be that sympathetic. I would be like, hey, Scarlett, why don't you take a look at what's going on around you? Frankly, frankly Scarlett comes to mind. Yeah, exactly. But one of the things that we talked about early on is that 
the person who we imagine would enjoy this book is someone and and you know we all know these people we all have friends or family members who are these people sometimes we are these people i know i am who just love these characters and 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 want to spend time with them and my job isn't to tell them that their characters are flawed or wrong my job is is to find where the book's job is to find the way to uh, like i was saying before have empathy with the character even when they are completely wrong and so the really one of the really helpful um tools for that for this book is um so the book is structured as if it is a series of advice columns so these characters are writing into an advice columnist asking for help like you know um uh, dear abby or or any of the the descendants of that yeah and early on we were like okay who's the advice columnist because when you read an advice columnist it's half for the letters and for the questions but it's also half for the voice of the person giving the answer right and so a big part of the the design was all right who's who's answering these letters who are they what is their point of view and I decided, uh, you know, if, if all the people writing in are fictional characters, should the person answering them also be a fictional character? And um, the term that they used to use to describe the people who wrote these uh, columns is this wonderful phrase, agony ant. And I was sort of thinking about the phrase agony ant and the words and the sounds and, and you know, very quickly just sort of like, well, that kind of sounds like Antigone. From, from Greek tragedy. So the person who is writing the answers to all of these letters is Antigone. She's Aunt Antigone. She's, you know, she's, she's <laughs> got a long history and experience with what it means to be a fictional character. And she can relate to some of these problems because of her own experience. You know, oh, yes, I understand you're having trouble with your father. You should, you know, you should have seen the problems I had with my father. They named the Oedipus Complex after um, and so, you know, just to find a, a through line and a voice of someone who could be uh, more sympathetic. Antigone can be more sympathetic to Scarlett O'Hara than I can be. And so she was a really useful voice to use uh, to, to answer a lot of these questions. In picking the writers to, um, to borrow these characters from, um, you you keep talking about very classic literature. W were there guidelines for what writers you wanted to borrow from? In other words, is is Sherlock Holmes likely to show up in this batch of letters? Uh, Sherlock is not here, but Watson is. And um, I tried to I tried to 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 take a broad view. Um, you know, I, like I said earlier, I didn't want it to, to be, you know, too heavy on Shakespeare, although Shakespeare, I think, is probably has the most. There's the characters, Austin, there's a lot of Jane Austen. Um, but I wanted to have a broad sampling. And we also tried to go uh, somewhat modern in a few places. There was a little question at first about whether or not we had to stick to uh, strictly to public domain or whether or not we could use material that was a little more recent and you know um, I think I may have been the first 
writer that this uh, that that the the um, publishers had, who was the one who volunteered to say, "Hey, can we check with legal uh, about this?" But we got the <laughs> we got the guidance that um, that it was okay to use more recent uh, work because it fell under the doctrine of fair use in transformative works and parody. So there are a couple of more recent um, works. Uh, Gandalf from Lord of the Rings is in here. Uh, Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. Um, uh, Ripley from the uh, Tom Ripley from the talented Mr. Ripley uh, is in here. Um, Okunquo from Things Fall Apart mm. um, is in here. Uh, so there are, you know, I, I tried to take a broader, as broad as possible, uh, uh, a lens. Um, to distribute the character. So it's not just Shakespeare and Austin and Dickens, even those those three, I think, are probably the most uh, most uh, highly represented. Um, yeah. And you talk about um, these different themes in, in the various chapters, um, bonds of matrimony, money matters. How did you determine what those themes would be or or is that sort of um lumping together what people typically write to advice columnists about it was a little bit of that it was a little bit of like all right what are some you know what are the real world topics that people write into um to advice columnists about combined with what are the you know i mean there were i will confess to you know there are a handful of characters in here that i I knew from the beginning, like, I have to put these in here because they're my own favorites. Um, Hamlet is a favorite. Moby Dick is a favorite. Um, there was an early version of the plan. We, we, we abandoned this pretty early on. But er, there was going to be a version where Ishmael wrote in multiple times over the course of the book. going to be the sort of like, hi, me again. So <laughs> here's what's happening. We ended up going in a different, uh, different uh, direction. But you know, there were there were ones that uh, were important to me to get in. And so looking at, you know, what what I wanted to put in and then also looking at the things that I knew I didn't really know very well, but felt like needed to be represented. So there was a lot of research. I read a lot. Um, I, I had there were a lot of books that I had read, hadn't read since high school. It was like, well, I think there's something there. And then I would go back and read it and find either that I, I misremembered something or in some cases, you know, discovered much, much more than I remembered. There were a couple of books that I never read before. I'll give you, uh, I'll give you one example. I felt really strongly that I, there needed to be some, someone from somewhere out of Steinbeck in here. But I, I haven't really been very, very well, well read in Steinbeck. And so I did a little research. Um, I read some summaries. I, I sort of then picked up, uh, right, let's go with East of Eden. And I, I started reading East of Eden for the first time. Thought, oh, maybe, I, and as I'm reading, I'm like, oh, I could use this character. I could, you know, I could use Cal to talk about this. And I stumbled on um, the character of Kate Trask, who is, in essence, the villain of, of East of Eden. And this character jumps off the page and once I stumbled upon that, it was like, oh, I have to use Kate Trask. Like, and if you'd asked me at the beginning, like, is Kate Trask going to be in this book? I would have said, who's Kate Trask? So a lot of it was a discovery process for me. So that was part of it. And so, you know, 
looking at who I wanted, looking at who I was missing, looking at the categories. And then there was a lot of push-pull. Like I said, I had that giant list of characters. Um, I think Madame Defarge from uh, Tale of Two Cities was going to be in the book up until the very end. And then I sort of, as I firmed up the chapter that that entry had to go in, it was like, oh, this doesn't really fit, but Sidney Carton from the same book fits. So I swapped, was able to swap one character for another. Another thing that was a really big guideline for me is that I, I had to pay a lot of attention to is I, I wanted there to be as much as possible an even balance between male characters and female characters. Hmm. And that was, uh, turned out to be a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And uh, in retrospect, maybe that shouldn't have been a surprise. But as I'm making lists of like, here are all the great characters, a lot more male characters than there were female characters. And so there were a lot of characters who I thought were going to be in early on who ended up not making it in because I, I wanted to make room for female characters. Um, and I think I got most of the way. I think it's a, probably about 55% male, 45% female. Um, but yeah, but uh, that, uh, it, was, it was a lot of push-pull uh, according to a lot of different variables to sort of end up where I ended up. This seems very different than... Um being one of the people to write the first Twitter novel. <laughs> what what prompted um, you to write a Twitter novel? And, and, and can you really tell as much of a story in, in limited space as you can, like with this book where you can do a real deep dive? So uh, the, the Twitter novel I wrote was called The Good Captain. I wrote it in 2007. Um, back when most people, if you, you know, showed them Twitter, their response would be, why do I care what you had for lunch? Right, um, right. Qu quite a far cry from the, uh, the place uh, that the Twitter holds in the culture today. Uh, I don't think any of us would have expected that. Um, but I was really struck by how Twitter and in the early days of social media, it was like everybody had their own broadcast tool. And what I found really interesting was not the story, a story you could tell in a single tweet, but a story you could tell in a series of tweets over a period of time, parceling out little bits of information. And so I got really interested in this idea of using social media to tell a story that felt like it was unfolding as you were reading it. Um, now, because I mean, the story that I told was an adaptation. It was a sci-fi adaptation of a Herman Melville short story, Benito Sereno, um, and uh, set in the far future. And, you know, one of the things, one of the challenges that, um, and problems with using social media in lots of contexts these days is, you know, is, is what is what you're reading are the are the tweets or the things people posting is this true or not and how do you know the difference between what's real and what's not and my solution to that was always it's set in the year 2142 and there's like spaceships and robots so hopefully it's clear that this is a story um <laughs> and that genre can sort of help that um and um 
I, it was a really interesting experiment. Ultimately, what I what I decided is that um, while I, I had a great time doing it and it, it found a really really good reception, um, I had written it like it was a short story, but just in these like little chunks that got parceled out. And what what I learned is that I felt like social media is less of a medium for that kind of storytelling and more of a medium that would it would work better if it was structured like a radio play where each each uh, 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 social media account is the voice of a character and so he started moving in that direction and using social media as a storytelling tool um, it's funny I, you say I, that for several jay. years it's funny you sorry, say that jay because i i i was thinking about those old 15 minute radio serials um, you know, uh, Flash Gordon and and um, mm-hmm. Green Hornet, Lone Ranger. It was a fifteen-minute episode, and you just you continued it the next time. It was all part of the same story, but told in in these little increments. Um, and yeah. and it kind of reminded me of that as you were describing the Twitter novel. Absolutely, and you know, I mentioned Orson Welles before in The Shadow is yeah. another one uh, like that and his radio radio work. The other really big influence, this is a little theoretical, but I'll, I'll, I'll try and not get too down the, the rabbit hole with this, is um, there's a thing in comic books. There's a very famous uh, comic theorist named Scott McCloud um, who wrote a book called Understanding Comics, and he talks about how in comics all of the power comes in the space in between the panels. You look at a, a one panel and it's a static image, you look at the next panel and it's a static image, but there's the space between those panels and it's the reader who in their mind creates the action that happens between those two panels. And to me, social media as a storytelling tool works on the same principle. You've got a tweet and then another tweet, but it's the stuff that happens in between the tweets that happens in the mind of the audience. And that's where a lot of the power is. So, you know, we used a lot of these principles, you know, I did a lot of this sort of social media experimental storytelling over the years. And and what it all culminated in is in 2012, I was invited to join a project called the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, which was a modern adaptation of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, where the main uh, central plank of the show was done on YouTube in these short five minute episodes as if. Lizzie Bennett was a 24-year-old grad student who was living at home because she had a mountain of student debt, and she was filming a vlog for a school project, and her sisters kept running in and out of the room with news about how, oh, my God, mom's freaking out. This rich young medical student just moved to the neighborhood, and she's, like, obsessed with setting one of us up with him. And that was the beginning of a modern version of Pride and Prejudice. But my part of the job was we put all of the characters on social media. So they had Twitter accounts, Facebook pages, Tumblr pages, and they would talk to each other in between the episodes and they would talk to the audience. The audience could ask them questions and they would reply. And it felt like their story was unfolding in real time as people were watching. And we told the story of Pride and Prejudice continuously for almost an entire calendar year. Wow. Um, and it was, it was really, it was an incredible project to be a part of. 
Um, and and we we found a really uh, engaged audience. And it's fun. It's funny. I do a lot of these adaptation projects, and you go and you pitch them or you discuss them with places. And a lot of people are like, ah, who won? Is there an audience for that? It's classics. It's it's homework. We had people. We had students, uh, uh, high school and college students, who would go to their teachers and say, "We have to watch this in class," because we found a way to make Pride and Prejudice. I mean, Pride and Prejudice is pretty relatable, I think, anyway. But we found a way to to make it sing to a modern contemporary audience, so that they were so closely identified with the characters. Um, and, and because we had them on social media, because they lived on people's phones, it was like they were in their, the characters were in the pocket of the audience and it created this enormous intimacy. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that can be done in social media storytelling. It can go wrong really quickly, <laughs> uh, as I think we've, we are seeing, but, but there is, there is a lot of power to tell stories um, with these tools. Well, it's it's fascinating. The new book is uh, is called uh, Novel Advice: Practical Wisdom for Your Favorite Literary Characters. The uh, author is uh, Emmy Award-winning writer Jay Bushman. Um, Jay, what's next? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I've got a couple of things uh, that I'm working on. Uh, I, uh, last summer, got the opportunity to work with a very, very interesting company. Um, the name of the company is Hunt a Killer. And what they primarily do is they sell uh, solve a murder mystery at home uh, uh, game boxes where you subscribe uh, to the to the company to the to the service and every month they send you a box at home and it's full of clues towards solving a mystery um, and so I worked with them last year to write uh, what is going to be their first uh, online interactive mystery and it is slated to come out sometime this year I don't know exactly when um, but that's coming soon. Um, and then I'm about to start work on on something new. I don't even really know what it's going to turn into, but it is going to be another uh, reimagining of a classic, one of my favorites, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, which is um, a story that we all think we know, but we don't really because it's been done so many times. We know the Bela Lugosi movies. We know Dracula as a figure in pop culture. But I'm a really big fan of Stoker's original novel and all its glorious weirdness. And I'm, I'm going back to that to do something with it. I haven't quite figured out what yet. Well, Jay, we've got to wrap it up there. But I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. And uh, I know you have a website. Would you like to share it? Sure. My website is uh, is just jbushman.com, uh, and I'm at jbushman on pretty much every social media platform. I'm fairly easy to find. Uh, and uh, last month or a couple of months ago, I started writing a newsletter, um, which is uh, at jbushman.substack.com, or you can find the link to that through my website. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Well, Jay, thanks so much, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Thank you for having me. Take care. That was Jay Bushman, the author of 
Novel advice, practical wisdom for your favorite literary characters. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. The Tom Sumner Program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. 
be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The play that I want to tell you about is that Romeo and Juliet. Now, there is a real thing. It's, it's a story about how this boy and girl was in love of one another, don't you see? It is. And everything would have been all right for them, except that their daddies didn't get along. They didn't. And when the play opens, Juliet's daddy is throwing this big fancy dress ball, and he invited the whole town to be there, but he didn't invite none of Romeo's people to come. And his buddies learned of it. And they put him up to slipping on a costume and slipping in at this party. And he was a spunky kind of a boy, and he done it. I think he done it and he got in there and everything was a going good till all of a sudden this girl Juliet come down the stairs and he was so struck by her that he give a soliloquy right there <laughs> he did and it wasn't about being or not being it was about doing or not doing <laughs> Well, the do's, they won out over the don'ts. And so what he done, he got her by the hand and started to take her out in the yard. And we'll never know what it was that there's going to do out there. We won't because this fella Tybalt recognized Romeo for who he was and come up on him a trying to pick a fight. But uh, Juliet's daddy, he didn't want no bloodshed right there in his living room. He didn't, so all he done, he run Romeo off. But uh, Romeo didn't go straight home. No, he didn't. He went out and hid in the yard till everybody left the party. And then when they had all went, he popped up and looked around. And he seen this light come on away off yonder. And he says to himself, he says, hark. He says, what light by yonder window shines? <laughs> He did. And, and let me tell you, Juliet step, stepped out of her bedroom window onto this stoop. And uh, she gave a soliloquy. She did, friends, and somewhere in it, somewhere in it, she says, Romeo, Romeo. She says, wherefore art thou, Romeo? And he popped up and says, I'm right here. (laughs) 
thank you. I thank you. Well, as it happened, there was this great big pea vine growing up to where she is a standing. <laughs> and so he clumb up it. He clumb up it, and that is where they had that balcony scene. And he, they hadn't been there but just a few minutes till he asked her to marry him. And that shows that he was an honorable boy about it all. <laughs> well, she says when. And he's... <laughs> well, he says now, and that shows that he wasn't up there for no light courting. He wanted to get on with it. Back then, the reason everybody lived in castles was that there was so many of them to put up at nights. Well, there was so many of them there that they had to keep a preacher on duty day and night. <laughs> Fella Friar Lawrence was his name. And so Romeo and Juliet, they went downstairs and woke him up and told him what it was that they wanted to do, and he thought that was all right. So he married them right there. But then, don't you see, it was a question of where they was to spend the night, things being how they, how they was and all. And uh, Friar Lawrence told Romeo that he ought to go on home that night. And uh, Romeo, he didn't take to it too hot. He didn't. He didn't, but he did. He went on home that night, and, and then Romeo thought that he better go off and lay low till things cooled off. And while he is gone, friends, Juliet's mama took a great notion that Juliet ought to get married. And then she was in a bind. She was. Because she didn't want two husbands because she figured that Romeo would be enough to take care of by self. And so she went back down to Friar Lawrence to see what she ought to do. And he mixed her up a drink and she drunk it and she fell out across the bed there and everybody thought she is dead and they had this big pretty funeral and laid her out in this family tomb and all. And before that Friar Lawrence could get word to Romeo that she wasn't really dead, some of them mean boys that lived in that town told him that she was dead. And he figured life didn't hold nothing for him. So he went out and got him this big can of light to drink. So he went over to this tomb where it was she was laid out and he opened the door of it and he says, oh my love, oh my wife, he did. And he went in, and he drunk the lie, and kissed her, and says, with this kiss, I die. And he fell out across to that. And uh, he was a big boy for his age. <laughs> he was. And the impact of him, a falling on her, woke her up. And she woke up, didn't know what was going on, and she looked there and seen Romeo laying dead. And then she figured life didn't hold nothing for her. And then she took his knife and run it into herself, and she expired. <laughs> she did, friends. And the moral of it is, if you've got a boy that courts a girl that you don't like, or the other way around, if you don't want the expense of a double funeral on you, the best thing for you to do is to let them have a cheap wedding. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
for a while So I'll be staying here inside It's too dangerous out in the world I'll see you on the other side When I'm in my quarantine In my little place too high My heart is aching and I'm missing you it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed my conversations with, uh, well, this last hour with Emmy Award-winning writer Jay Bushman about his new book, Novel Advice, Practical Wisdom for Your Favorite Literary Characters. Before that, we uh, talked with uh, a real interesting conversation with uh, a couple of academics. Um, We had... uh, Gerald Zimmerman and Daniel Forrester, the authors of a book that looks at the business practices of uh, mobsters and, and other uh, illegal uh, crime organizations, uh, a book called Relentless. And we started out at the top of the hour with uh, debut author Barry Eisenberg talking about his book Primal Calling. And that's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories, letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room but uh, tomorrow we've got uh, more interesting conversations Uh, we're going to talk about uh, restaurants and uh, we're going to talk about Frida the Frog and uh, lots more City of the Plague God anyway see you tomorrow good night everybody Tom Sumner program is a live variety show we want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. 
This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.